Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. Oh my god, every time I go to record this stupid show and the new laptop goes, recording in progress. I think it's recording turns progress. Like, over for me when I'm starting. <laughs> anyway, I'm you know, that's my laptop, and I'm the young Grognard kicking it to you live with the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign. This is the Lord's Adventure and the quest, uh, newest quest, Vengeance. Our party in the last quest, uh, the uh, last quest there, we left off having defeated Ekfeldar, the Duergar warlord in the pits below the halls of silver down in the uh, dwarvish halls. Uh, Norhill had assumed his namesake there as the uh, lord of the hall, taking on the vestiges of the lord. Um, we had a very interesting bit of combat there where everybody kind of took on some interesting positions. We had Jarzak apparently acquire a fancy sword. We had our friend Anton of Glory Wake assume the position with the horn and unite the dwarves. Uh, rallying them to jump in and save their leader and defeat the other guy. Uh, Kalika did what Kalika does, and apparently Sonic booms somebody as they give their final speech before dying. And uh, yeah, so our party, with everything like that in mind, have quite the sprinty escape on their hands as the Duergar are definitely not going to just let this go. And there's still many, many Duergar that are in here armed and ready to go. So the party... Uh, alongside the entirety of the dwarves here, all make way to the elevator and realize how little space there is for all of the dwarves that are going to be coming out. So my question is, is there some plan for how you're all going to be getting them out of here? Now we set off the explosive in the minecart, right? This was it? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. <laughs> but... So was there some specific plan for how you guys wanted to kind of chaperone the bearded masses? Well, I'll, I'll stay near the bottom. Anton's, yeah, Anton's okay staying near the bottom. The place. At once. It looks like it's going to take three trips. And that's them like sardine packed in there. They're, can't they stack on top of each other? Aren't they like stout and sturdy like Legos? You know, there's also like gaps on the side. So if one of them did happen to like fall, he would just fall. Well, all the way just to the lock of in like Legos. You know, you I can't just... just raise your voice at me and have it wait, make more wait, sense. Wait, 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 wait! Can't you just like summon those spiders back? <laughs> See if we had it, let those spiders go. I don't. I don't own the spiders. 
Yeah, honestly, the Anton, creatures of the cave. They like they don't need a man. Do you really think Anton knows better? No. Well, apparently, the first thing he went to was slavery and servitude. So, what does that say about Anton? It's like, yeah, force him into arduous labor. Hold on. What happens in the caves? The light can't see, so it's fine. <laughs> Does that explain why every time we bring Anton underground, he gets really murderous and scary? <laughs> like, this is starting to uncover some real weird truths. But, okay, so again, what's the plan for the party? Because it looks like it's going to take at least three halls up to get them out of here. Start sending them up and we'll just wait, I guess. At the is bottom? Material that we can just, like, drag over to build, like, a really rickety barricade? I mean, just blow up, you know, and the tunnels. You mean like the tunnels beneath down here? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, for what it's worth, where you guys are, there's no other Duergar who are going to be like falling you out. The Duergar you have to worry about are the ones you're going to encounter on the way out of like the the rest of the place. So we should probably go up, or at least a couple of us should go up on that first trip. Well, this has been my question since the beginning, is which okay, couple yeah, are we talking sorry, about? I thought that we were being chased from behind, not having to deal with people ahead of us. No, no. Those ones were very well slain by a group of bearded, angry dwarves. Rallied by a toot-to-toot. Toot-toot. I uh, hope it was like careless... What's it called? Careless whisper? No? I hope that's just the noise he did. That's the rallying call on the... <laughs> I mean, it should probably be the leader. Yeah, like just say, looks at uh, Norhill. <laughs> uh, Norhill will offer to go up first and uh, secure the area beyond the elevator. To Anton might go with you. Yeah, and, and, Anton, the, the lights are probably on up there, so... Yeah, I should go Norhill. Norhill nearly died, so I gotta make sure he doesn't nearly die again. Ouch. Well, anyway... <laughs> Does Norhill make it known that he's going up first? Oh, yeah, no, he definitely says, I'll go up first and secure the area beyond the elevator. The dwarves yeah, cheer a rallying cry behind you as soon as you mention this and begin to hurry and black Friday their way to the uh, this ramp to try to get up there next to you and continue the charge out of this place alongside you. Everybody stay calm and don't shove. And, you know, don't exceed uh, me. Uh, allow me to be the first into the charge. Can you give me a charisma check on that one? Perhaps a persuasion with advantage? Uh, I can get a 15. Okay. And so that they all kind of stop in place and begin to nod their heads agreeably and begin to slowly file their way in as if following some sort of organized pattern that they had followed to get down here many, many days before this constantly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but that Norhill jumps on with Anton, and many, many dwarves begin to file in evenly in little rows, connecting one another and making enough space for you and Anton in the front. And so, with that, the elevator rises up, it comes back down, and you guys stand up there waiting for a good five minutes or so for the um, rest of sorry, excuse me, the rest of the crews to uh, continue their way up. Was there anything that Click on Jarzak were going to do in the meantime? You know, first, like halfway through when the first elevator is up, Norhill, I mean, um, fucking Anton's body just comes tumbling down. And it's just, 
turns out there was a Dwargar who just stayed in invisibility the whole time, snuck onto the elevator, and then just flipped Anton off right halfway up. That would be pretty good. That's fucked up. I don't, I'm not okay with that. Classic. Classic Dwargar trickery. As uh, is just going to wait at the bottom ready to catch uh, Anton, because that's what Klika thinks is going to happen. Oh boy. So with that, <laughs> the elevators go down and come up. And as you guys are down there, you can see that the Aspies that were down there loading into the carts, now that Klee Gundarzak have a moment to kind of organize the dwarves before hopping on themselves, the Aspies seem to be just kind of like puzzled and moving around irreverently as if like unaware of what they themselves are supposed to be doing, just randomly like fondling at things with their little antennae on their head and like picking up stones with pairs of their arms and like putting them back down sniffing at things and just kind of meandering about as if very unaware of what they're supposed to be doing it hasn't been an hour since we came down right so i still have my ability to speak to everything yep uh i guess clica will try and approach one of the aspies and just be like um so what you doing and so that as you go up and begin to speak to them, you realize that you don't actually say any words whatsoever. You just kind of think them. And as you do, you feel this weird like washing of like temperature over your body from like cold on your forehead down to your back. But you feel this weird sensation as if when you speak, your body kind of embodies it and sort of expresses it that way. And as you do so, the SBs come walking over to you and begin to feverishly smatter you with antenna and just kind of like start fondling all over you a pair of the uh, aspies over here and as you do that they just kind of sit there behind you and like start to line up and they just line up in a position behind you so you're in the front with two behind you uh both of them now that you've got them up close and you actually can see them if they were to stand up and like complete their like correct their spine and like kind of like stand up properly they look like they'd probably end up being somewhere around six feet tall but because the jointedness of their body and the way that their body's sort of shaped they kind of slump backwards in a weird way almost like what's his name sabolba from um star wars yeah you know what i'm talking about sure you can make whatever anything you want to say it's from star wars yeah, okay. Anyway, I'm not going to stop you, Dan. Just dropping some Phantom Menace <laughs> stuff there. But anyway, they just kind of have like a weird hunched kind of like shape to their body as they kind of like crunkle onto themselves. But they have four arms and each one of them seems very capable with claws on the end. But yeah, they just line up behind you. Um, are we playing follow the leader? And they just continue to shuffle to stand behind you as you change your facing. Well, all right. Um, so, are you guys going to follow me out? They just continue to stand behind you. Oh, well, I didn't get a mount, but I guess I got two new best friends. Yeah, except they just keep standing behind you, which is kind of sad that every time you try to turn, like, where are you guys going? And they just continue to, like, fanning the other way behind you. Yeah, no, it's fine. Okay, so do you hop on the uh, elevator with your two friends? Yeah. Be like, Darzak, look. Now I'm the boss. With that, 
two more Aspies come from around the other corner where you guys weren't as if like sniffing at the air with their antenna and their little proboscis and they just start scuffling over and join in behind the other two in front. Uh Oh, <laughs> now I'm double the boss. Jarzak, I, I didn't know I, I was going to start a business being the big bug boss is a big responsibility. I don't think you were prepared for this. Jarzak, you see, a group of four or more of them begin to scuttle out of one of the little warehouses in the back where all the, like the raw materials are being stored and all of them additionally sniffing and begin to like kind of lift their bodies up as if twitching at the air. And you see another 10 of them come scuffling out of the corners and little crevices until now you have approximately 18 or 20 of them following you in a giant horde. Again, when you turn to face them, they all slowly shift like a big arcing flashlight light just behind you. I don't think we're all going to fit on the elevator anymore. Some of them are going to spill off. Well, tell them to start climbing. They just start moving the dwarves and throwing them off to make room. <laughs> like, no, 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 they don't have empathy. Shit. See, they that. should have gone with the Legos. So as the elevator begins to go up and you sort of wave your goodbyes to the ants there, the Aspies begin to slowly shuffle and climb up the walls in that same, like, follow the leader formation, the conga line, all the way up the wall. And as you guys reach the top, they slowly compress their bodies and climb up through the little crevice there as the dwarves hop off this landing into the uh, main room. And so Anton Norhill and a giant army of dwarves are now accompanied by about 20 or 25. Apparently other ones came to join the ranks as they're conga lining up the tunnel. And you have about two dozen of these large insectoid humanoids following you. Okay, so you're Aspie, and that's Baspy, and then Caspy, and then Daspy, and then Yisby, and then Fastby, and then Gasby. And so on Asp- and so forth. So at this point, <laughs> but at this point, all the dwarves are just looking around at one another and looking at the strange goblin who just keeps trying to turn to face them, but all the ants continue to like revolve around and they keep getting like shoved aside. But at this point, Norhill can tell that time is of the essence, as you can hear shouts coming from the distant tunnels, as if the Durgar may be sort of becoming alert to what's going on. Okay, we're making for the lower halls. Uh, everybody stick together, watch your flanks, nobody left behind. And with that, the dwarves all take on something of a, like a mock phalanx position, taking on this giant like 10 by 30 stretch of dwarves. And they follow you in the front with Anton and the lantern there as you guys move down massive stoneworked halls that arch up way high up to the ceiling. And as you guys just kind of like hoof it down this way, you can hear just a cacophony of marching boots as all these dwarves just come stamping and marching behind you guys all the way through here until you enter that same hall you guys were in before with all the like the residential district and all that. And at this point, the party can tell that a couple of Durgar on the arachnid mounts there seem to be coming around the corner and leaping off some of the buildings. A couple of them seem to be getting ready to do combat with the front line. And before you really have much of a say in what's going to happen there, the dwarves all begin to just pick up rocks and stones and like various debris on the ground and just start throwing and hucking them at the Durgar and just start throwing all kinds of willy-nilly at them. 
Close ranks, watch your heads. Anton, I don't suppose you have much left after all that. I might have a little bit. Uh, let me see. For what it's worth, the fervor of the dwarves throwing the rocks and stuff at them, it seems to be enough to almost overwhelm the warriors itself on the back of the arachnid mounts. And it seems like they themselves would sort of back off before trying to make an actual charge in here, as if the losses that they'll take are definitely more guaranteed than killing off the uh, dwarves that you guys have. So as the dwarven ranks begin to just whip stones with fervor, that seems to be enough to overwhelm those, uh, the two of them. And the party begin to make their way further through these halls, making their way down to the, uh, the fancier halls, the apartment district that you guys were in before. And so after about 30 minutes of just hurrying your buns out of there, full speed sprints out of here, Klika, uh, you can tell as your little speech ability begins to waver, that the Aspies that have been chasing after you uh, slowly begin to kind of like sniff at the air and twitch their antenna at one another. And it seems almost like a magnetic link has been broken and they just absolutely don't recognize you in any way, shape or form. Well, it's going to be tough saying goodbye, but I'll miss you Aspie and Vaspie and Caspie. And and so on and so forth. (laughs) And so with that... The party continue down the passageways that they had come in until they reach, after about a couple hours of travel, uh, the stoneworked passage where the Gallop Dur section was. And as Norhill and Anton reach this giant pile of debris, which blocks their passage out of here, um, the Gallop Dur approaches from the giant pile of rubble and in its stony earthen voice kind of grinds its teeth at you in a weird way and expects some sort of answer. You can hear the boots and shuffling of all the dwarves behind you come to like a sudden stop as the traffic jam ends here in the hallway before you. Guardian, please allow us to pass. And so it just kind of stands there staring back at you as if expecting some sort of sign or something. Uh, and, uh, when you know, Norhill speaks, he, you know, uh, he shows the you know, treasures of the hall. Uh, the, the helm and the tankard. Oh, announce yourself, bro. I, Norhill Hammerstone, Lord of the Two Halls, request passage through this area. And with that, the Galabder kind of falls backwards in something of a small sweeping bow and rolls backwards into the pile of dirt. And all of the stonework starts to kind of like meld and shift around in a weird kind of aquatic amorphous way. And it sort of beckons you forward with a small gravitational pull. All right, everybody, continue forward. Grit your teeth. Don't stop until you see the light of day again. And And, uh, Norhill plunges in first. Okay. And as was before, the party travel through this as if it was water, really thick, viscous, strange earthen water. But the party travel through it and reach the other side um, as if in like a split instant that got dragged on for way too long. And with that, the dwarves continue to move through at their even pace. The party continuing down their way, following down the swampy little sewer tunnels, making their way through the gate room and making it all the way to the final bit of stretch past the sewage pipes to the exit where the river meets that small pond of backwater. And 
as you guys all begin to plunk out of here and land off the little stretch of the river into the bit of water, dwarves splashing in here, seeming to get the first, you know, breath of freedom in a long, long time. And all of you guys, uh, can I get a perception check from you guys real quick? 13. You can try. <laughs> Hell yeah, zero. <laughs> you always feel it, dude. I know, I know what I'm about to fucking chunk of perception. 18. Okay. okay, so we got 15, 18. Did you say 13, Anthony? 13, yes. Okay, and zero. So the 18 is the only one that can see it, but you can tell in the distance north on the coastline, it must be that far off, but the clouds just look so strangely gray over Eagle Heart or the general distance, like area of that or Dustwind. It looks like there's just massive smoky clouds that are just billowing from the city itself. Okay, I'll relay that to everyone else. Fair enough. We've got some, so, some smoky clouds. Something's not right up there. Yeah, the color of gray is like blackish, almost leading you to believe that there's giant smoldering fires in the distance. But with that... The dwarves single file their way out of here, landing in the pond, and begin to cheer and rejoice, hugs and smooches all around amongst all the dwarves as they begin to rejoice. And as the jubilation seems to come to a close, they all immediately look to Norhill, and you hear people from the back begin to yell out, and they say, Lord Hammerstone, where shall we go next? And then somebody else bebops back and says, we must go to Eagleheart. Old friends will protect us. And somebody else yells out, and they say, it's too far away. It's much too far. And it seems like the whole crowd begins to rabble, rabble, rabble amongst themselves, waiting for some sort of pulling discussion. Yeah, so, you know, Norhill finds, you know, like a, a man, maybe like a small hill or something to stand up on, and, you know, just sort of raises his hands and it waits for everybody to quiet down. Okay. It seems well enough that they slowly begin to calm down and listen in. The march is not over yet. For today... Uh, we'll march to Dustwind and uh, seek asylum there. And somebody yells back from the group. They say, Dustwind, that neutral territory wouldn't care to take us on. And somebody else yells back and they say, they wouldn't give us quarter. My companions and I have made friends in Dustwind. Our word will surely hold enough pull to get us at least lodgings for the time being. And from what Jarzak has seen, Smoke may be rising from Dustwind itself as well. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know how well hey, they're uh, doing to accept <laughs> people, but uh, we should probably get to getting if we're going to go. They might be in trouble. And so with that, the uh, party's plan is to go to Dustwind. Yes, and, you know, sort of privately to the party, Norhill will still mention, like, you know, I realize that maybe Dustwind is a gamble considering what we're seeing, but there's no place else closer. And I don't know how long we can march, and we don't have the supplies to camp in the wilderness. Well, everybody also realizes, geographically speaking, that Quarrydale is much closer if not directly on the border of the mountains where you guys just popped out. Is there any smoke coming from that direction? 
How convenient. They sold us out again. (laughs) (laughs) That might be wise, though. I'd rather not drag a group of refugees into a possible scuffle once more with the Herald of Steel. We haven't seen the last of him. My gut tells me that direction is him. Okay, so I guess I just Even if it wasn't. I, I guess I, as a player, just didn't understand the map properly. I thought Dustwind was... Oh, no, no, it's all good. It's all good. Dustwind would be like a trip and a half's worth of distance in comparison to Corydale. You know what I mean? It's like 50% longer to go that way. But Corydale itself is just not a place that many people actually travel into, so it's hard to say what you'd be met with upon entering that place. But as a region, you know that it's mostly just like, I don't want to say geographically like just open, but most of the civilization out there is sparse and hidden away in small little niches. So it's like it's not the kind of place where you're going to be able to find towns very easily. But when you do, they're going to be small, secluded, and like well-reinforced in their own way. You know what I'm saying? All right. Uh, so then, yeah, here's what yeah, Norhill at least suggests to the party. We'll march in a sort of like maybe not direct direction that'll take us past Dustwind so that we can maybe get a better look at what's going on uh, while not going super out of our way if we need to redirect Quarrydale. Unless we just send a single scouting group to Dustwind and then the larger mass to Corydale. Clique is a bit worried about Dustwind, but they seem to be handling themselves pretty well the last time we were there, at least. So hopefully everything's okay there. So the official plan is to try to move in a distance in a direction that doesn't negate your ability to go to Dustwind, sort of in a way that kind of bisects the difference between the two of them. Yeah. Especially okay. because now, now if I remember the map correctly, that should be fairly easy marching territory too. Yeah, no, no, no. This is gonna be a I don't want to say a cakewalk, but it's it's definitely not very difficult to travel through this way. It's it's very much so. Um fields and rolling hills so it's just going to be a lot of that in the summer heat it's still not going to be terrible with the rolling winds but yeah it won't be too bad at all so uh with that i suppose our party is good to go um so what i will say is as the party marches from the midday to the evening and finds a nice clearing out in the fields to set up dozens of little tents out here um using like makeshift scraps from what the uh, the dwarves had been able to steal on the way from the little uh, district you guys had traveled through taking like small tarps and whatnot to set up little makeshift tents and things the whole group of them seem to be greatly famished and without much to eat on their journey so what would you guys like to do about that um about 300, 400 of them. Fuck. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I have the power yet to take two rations and make four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or to oh take boy. two and make 400. <laughs> <laughs> it's a meta magic thing. How close are we to the 
the uh, Gnome Mountain area. Uh, from where you guys popped out, it's probably going to be about two or three days to get far enough into there that you'd see villages. I meant like how close are we to the, the gnome place we visited before? Boltcrag? Boltcrag, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Boltcrag, okay, that one. Uh, that's quite Wait a bit farther away. Okay, I... that, that's what I thought. Okay. Yes. Um, I have an idea. Yeah. But I don't know how much, how good it will be. Cannibalize the elderly. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, right, it'd be too stringy. I have a spell, but I didn't prepare it. But I, if, if I could swap it with one, I could use create food and create 45 pounds worth of food and 30 gallons of water. Well, I mean, on the second day, feel free to do that. I mean, it would make sense that in the hubbub of escaping and getting out here, all of a sudden you're like met with the reality of starving children and elderly people who are like trying Ooh. their best to keep up. And so you reach that point when you're like, the calling, the calling of the food. Mama, I'm hungry. Okay. So for tonight, then what Norhill is going to do is he's going to put out a call. Uh, through the masses to gather up any food that anybody might have on them and that includes the party too and we're going to divide it up as fairly as possible so that everybody has a chance at getting something to eat uh, children come first obviously okay and is everybody going to join in on this one so yes. Norhill has uh, eight rations to contribute to the communal food pile I am down to two, so <laughs> I will give them both out. I have eight rations as well. Jarzak's been holding out on us with a case of like 50. <laughs> like, hey, it's all the dog food from the gnome place anyway. Yeah. I am sitting on 67 platinum for some reason, though. <laughs> well, if we could only Christ. eat money. You can eat the coins to fill up your stomach. Don't get rid of the hunger <laughs> pangs for a bit. And you jingle. I was going to say. And then you get disadvantage on stealth from then on out. But yeah. uh, So uh, how many days worth of rations is Norhill able to source from just everyone else? It's enough to make a gesture. It's enough to show that people are like realizing the gravity of their situation and it's enough to tend to those who desperately need food but people are definitely going to bed hungry tonight people are going to be hungry but not starving cool. yeah because they ate the day before so it's just you know what i mean going on yeah. a sweet yeah, little day just, off of hunger. You know, though, yeah just yeah so that everybody gets one meal at least before anton feeds the masses in the morning yeah it's enough and to feed those who are in desperate food. need but as Jarzak's looking through his bag and looking for some sort of snack, um, you can tell that that strange diamond-edged blade that you had taken before, it begins to like weirdly vibrate in a way, and you feel another sort of strange like mental intrusion for a moment as you've spent enough time with the blade that you've kind of gotten used to holding it. But it vibrates lightly like at your side. Ah. Uh. So, hmm, most swords don't do that. <laughs> I gotta turn this thing off and vibrate. Uh, 
No, that's not true. Flicker sometimes vibrates. Well, Flicker is also not most blades. <laughs> Maybe I should do my ritual and store this blade into the darkness sooner rather than later. And uh, continue. Uh, I got like 10 rations here. Oh, shit. Okay. He was all moon. Uh, but... can, can I do a deception on that? Oh, yeah, sure. Why do you have many more than that? No. Just one more than that. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I also want to, you know, get a charge. That's a 26. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so nobody would ever question that at all. And so, okay. So that, that definitely helps shore up feeding a lot of the hungry. But as you sort of lie quickly and say that, and you continue to think to yourself about embellishing this thing with the darkness, the, the blade begins to vibrate again. And it says, who are you? Oh, this one talks too. Uh, uh, You're like, oh, fuck, come on. I'm now. Jarzak. And it says, for what do you quest? What is your goal of excellence in this world? What is your favorite color? Pa- power. Yellow, fuck. And it says, have you faced adversity? Yeah. Have you succeeded against all odds? Yeah. When will you quit? When, when I have enough. Enough to and do more. And with that, the voice goes silent and the blade stops vibrating. I just love how Jarzak so openly answers anything that it calls to him in his head. He's like, hi, you've reached Jarzak. Who's this? Caller number one. I already explained all <laughs> You're this. You're on the air. <laughs> Jarzak literally has multiple voices in his head. It's okay. It's, you know, it's just, you know. But uh, with that, it turns out that this whole entire campaign has just been Jarzak slipping on an ice cube in the first tavern, and then he's just imagining all of these things. <laughs> these are just like nurses and stuff talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> but um okay oh, and so with that nurses <laughs> and so with that the uh party on the next day of travel uh i imagine anton's gonna prepare a fuck ton preparations yeah, of that me, spell uh, to feed so, let, me, let me do that for one minute let me uh... yeah i mean how many times would you be able to prepare it because I think uh, if you were to do it's a third level spell, so I could prepare um I could use it three times in a day. Yeah, that'd be enough to feed everybody for the day. Like everybody would yeah. eat enough square meals that they'd be well fed. One so second, what exactly I was trying to switch them up, I'm sorry. Uh no, it's all good. It's all good. You don't need to worry about that right now. I'm not gonna hit you with like a combat or something like that. Um, but my question is, what exactly does it look like when Anton's casting this? Like, what do the meals actually look like? How does this ritual go down? Um, that's a great question. So I guess it it, it takes up thirty foot thirty feet of space. <laughs> the food's bland. 
Oh, that's really annoying. And it and it spoils if I'm eaten after 24 hours. The water's clean and doesn't cook that as good. Uh, so I think I'm just curious. What's the type of land we're in right now? Is it like grass, weeds, rolling fields? Rolling fields. Interesting. Okay. So Anson kind of sniffs at the air and then he kind of gets on his knees and he starts digging at the dirt. And in his strange way, it's almost as if like pulling vegetables from the ground, um, like molt, like taking bales of like grass and stuff and for some way like molding it into loaves of bread, like sort of like an art kind of thing. He's just, he's just molding the earth like clay, making food. Okay, and I imagine with the blessed light of the morning rising sun holding up these individual lumps of dirt and grass and things, they all sort of miraculously shift and change as you do so, and wringing out the moisture from the mud as it cooks, making small, like, puddles of very clear, drinkable water. Time to Um, convert you all to vegetarians! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it'd be kind of weird if it was all meat, wouldn't it? Like, where did this come from? Which dimension is just the fucking meat aisle? It's like prepackaged slices. Anyway, so with that, people are absolutely astonished and in awe of all of these miracles that are occurring. And uh, Jarzak, you hear a strange voice in the back of your head sort of making uh, reverberations again. And it says, did you miss me? Without Uh, my guidance, you have done very much. Yeah, so... Why would, why would I miss you? I was I was very busy. Were you not watching? You said you were. Yeah, you were underground. Watching. It was really bad signal down there. It was very difficult. Anyway, the point is. Yeah, we. I was. I was busy. You see. All right. You see all these people okay. around me. This doesn't yeah, just great. happen overnight. I, I was busy too. Okay, but anyway, kind, um, it says overnight. to you. It says, amongst your ranks, there is one who will ruin everything. If you travel to Quarrydale, all will be lost and our machinations will fall apart. There is one who will speak only the truth of what they have seen. And with that, you feel a strange inclination to look over at the mud pie making baker priest. And with that, a sensation tingles as well and says, one of them may also speak honestly to the gnomes of the fate of their people and who has brought such harm. And you feel an inclination to look over at Norhill as well. And with that, there is one who you must stop at all costs. All honesty and all powers in this world must be trusted to eliminate her. And you feel finally an inclination to look over at Klika, who's currently playing with the children and eating up little mud pies that haven't yet been miraculously converted. And with that, you hear the voice say, finally, we are not to play games, Jarzak. This night they die. I have sent two to come your way. You will blame them for the murders. And this will give me the power I want. I hold the power. I will give to you what you deserve. Do not forget who holds the leash. Okay. 
you feel the sword vibrate at your hip a bit and the voice in your head begins to tremble and kind of reverberate away. And thus you have this strange resonant dissonance as the two vibrations, the headache in your head and the vibration at your side from the blade begin to sort of go back and forth with one another for a moment as you stand there kind of like dumbstruck hearing that apparently you're asked to kill all of them. And with that, with a that couple of dwarves in the distance begin sprinting over to the rest of you guys who are getting the mud pies ready and everything in the morning light. And apparently they come running over saying that there are two people down the road who seem to be coming this way. Show me. I will meet them. And what were you saying, Ryan? I thought you were going to say something for a second. Ooh. Okay. And so with that, is Norhill the only one to go? I imagine Anton's still busy making and preparing and handing out food. So he's running his little mess hall. <laughs> <laughs> the old mud pie mess hall. But anyway, okay. And what about Cleek on Jarzak? Uh, I was going to say, after that, Jarz Jarzak might like beeline it for like somewhere he can isolate himself for a minute okay like which wouldn't be too hard or, the get, tent or something yeah yeah pop over a hill like and hide behind a bush it, he, he's essentially just gonna be uh you know talking to himself really prepping for it just all right all right but it is it's it's go time you knew this was coming it's it, it we got we gotta do it, it got it Yep, we got and this. So, as you leap over into the bush and begin giving yourself the pep talk for this, you notice as you lean down that the blade at your hip, the way that it had been sort of uh, holstered onto your belt, it falls to the ground easily as if it had like come undone. And you look down at like the three locking bolts that kind of hold this thing to your belt and they've unfastened themselves perfectly. Uh, pick it back up like uh so you you gotta the sword doesn't belong on the ground what what are you doing and as you go to fasten it and put it back on each one of the little fastenings that you go to lock on there snap open as soon as your fingers leave it okay guess i'll just hold you because you're being a little baby about this <laughs> and uh, as you hold it in your hands you know that feeling where something vibrates really really hard and fast to the point that like it kind of hurts your inner hands as this begins to like wriggle in a way to get away from your hands as you hold it the tighter you hold it the more it vibrates in a painful kind of way and you feel the thing beckon in your head almost trying to like have you release it and it says I serve none who serve masters you are weak for serving such beings so are you saying you're not a different master then i am also, no master i am much more than that i am the gateway to all opportunity and growth you seek power you will not find power while someone else holds your leash I offer you guidance 
and mentorship. Your victories are your own. My victories are already my own. And with that, it goes quiet and it stops vibrating painfully. And as you go to fasten it again, the fastening seem to lock in perfectly fine. Okay, so you grew up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big baby. The thing goes flying off. Like, <laughs> So Norhill goes rushing past the group of dwarves and Norhill's father seems to join him as he marches down this way. And as you approach, you see an unfamiliar couple of races that you've only heard about in tales of travel and tales of the seas to the far north as you see before you a hulking humanoid who seems more akin to a giant than a human bull uh, bald with a strange kind of silvery sheen to his skin uh, alongside him something of a reptilian looking humanoid just about as tall, but with flecks of white amongst its copperish colored scales. And as you approach and your father follows kind of in tow, uh, your father bellows out and says behind you, Hail, Lord Norhill Hammerstone, Lord of the Halls, name yourselves. And with that, the hulking two look back and forth at one another and the large one, as he, uh, the larger one, the humanoid-looking one, kind of looks back to the reptilian one and looks back at you guys, and he says, "Oh, I, I mean, I guess that's my, uh, I'm Ark." And with that, the reptile, in a more feminine voice than I guess you were expecting, uh, after rubbing out what appears to be her brow ridge and a, a sense of almost embarrassment, she says, "My name, if it shall be given, is Yigkadith." I have come from far. We seek something important. And with that, Ock kind of yells out and he says, Do you like to play dice? And as he uh, continues uh, to move well, well Ock in Ye Caliph. And with that, he he as as he asks about the dice, he just starts walking forward and like shuffling around in his pockets. And your father very uneasily steps a foot forward and puts his hand like across your girdle, like your waist height there. And he's just like, "Stand back, son. We can't trust these ones." And with that, Ox stands back and he says, "Oh, well, I, I mean, I don't mean to offend. I, I don't know those lords don't play dice, but frankly, I, I've beat many a king once, in fact." And with that the uh your father kind of turns his head to you a little bit and he says this is a lot of barnacles no i'm just kidding but he turns <laughs> to you and he says what is this man i'm not sure um, and he says i'm Hawk. would you like to play dice somewhere in the distance there's a hi i'm Kleeka. just revert just passes through the hills <laughs> and with well, that you, well as you can see uh, my people and I are in a bit of straits. If you have business, please get to it. Otherwise, this is no time for games. Well, as Ock kind of steps forward a little bit and he says, I don't know how to put this in a way that doesn't make me seem like something of an ogre, a, an ogre dreamer here, but um, I had a very interesting dream and something pulled me from Enton to come all the way out here Something about the doors to the Dwarven Citadel opening up, and perhaps me. I don't know. Uh, the dragon-looking one steps forward a bit and says, With all due respect, 
we were looking to see what we could take from the Dwarvish Hall, assuming it was left vacant. And looking at the pile of dwarves up top eating mud pies, she kind of retracts a little bit and says, I mean no disrespect when I say we thought it was vacant. Well, as you can see, the dwarves are the hall, the halls are alive and well, and I will not allow uh, any two self-professed thieves one step closer. And with that, Auk kind of puts his hands up very defensively, towering nearly twice your own height, and he says, well, 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 hold on a second. I'm not looking to stir up trouble, and especially not with somebody who maybe is good at dice. But my point is, I do think I was a little bit justified when I heard in my dream that everyone was dead inside. I wouldn't think to take from the living. And then he gives kind of like a weird little nod in the direction of the dragon and says, I wouldn't trust that one. And with that, Yggdalith kind of turns back and says, you're not very good at whispering. And he kind of looks back and he says, and she's not very good at dice. I'm looking for a good challenge. Do you know a guy? Unfortunately, no. I don't think that I'll be dicing with you this night. And so with that, his face takes on a level of glumness that you never thought such a hulking, hulkish brute could take on. But he looks like a little kid who had a, like a rainy day on his on his field day. Like he just looks so sad, but in such a childish way. And he like says, "Do you like playing? Uh, do you like throwing stones?" And he pulls out a small satchel with a bunch of clinking stones inside, and he says, "Oh, pretty good. In fact, my name's Ox Stones Throw." Pleasure to make your acquaintance. And he holds this big, gristly hand towards you with knobby knuckles and fat sausage fingers. And looking closer, his skin has the texture more of concrete or hewn stone than flesh. And are you, uh, Norhill will sort of apprehensively shake his hand and look at you know, the dragony looking individual. So I take it that you both have come down from the far north. No, no, no. We come from Enton. She was an orphan there. Well, you know, sorry. I, I guess that's not my place to say it. Here, you can tell him. <laughs> and that she just kind of, again, begins to rub her brow again. And he says, I'm from the far north, but I'm not very good at sailing. And <clears throat> sailors aren't very good at playing dice. Don't tell them I said that, but the whole lot of them are usually pretty inept. But I mean, I've come to Cordell to do business. I'm a bit of a merchant myself, trying to do the numbers. Fortunately, I can't read. I can't write either. Kind of makes numbers a bit of an abstract concept. That's why I got stones. Hey, do you play dice? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's not that. He's not that daft. But he says, uh, "You uh." Heading to Corridale, are you? Well, perhaps. I was wondering if the if either of you could give me news of the other lands. Uh, you know, you might you must have traveled down past Dustwind, or maybe I'm pulling a total blank on what the name of the kingdom that we spent the whole first half of the campaign is. What or Emerald? <laughs> 
Ronnie was about to say Eagle Heart, which was not correct, but I appreciate it either way. Anyway, the uh, I heard it. I heard the E coming out. But with that, um, they say that they came from Coradale itself and that they came from Enton, which is sort of the coastal port city that acts as the capital of Coradale. From what you guys have put together in your days of travel, I mean, Port Town, uh, sorry, Enton, Enton is a is a kind of a bustling place. But again, it's outside the jurisdictions of Amroth itself. So many places that won't travel to, or to Amroth for the sake of like taxes and stuff like that might just go farther south to Enton itself. So hearing about strange races coming from there is a curiosity, to say the least. Nothing anybody would have expected. But they just basically tell you that they are travelers who ended up in an adventurous town, and that would be Enton. So, yeah. And as far as information goes from the area, I mean, Enton hasn't really had any issues at all. They say that many people don't go to Amaroth right now as a whole, saying that the port to Eagle Heart has been closed off and it's been dangerous for two months now just because of what's going on and all that. But Corridale apparently is doing just fine. Apparently, the three major towns there, including Enton, are pretty well localized and kind of contained that, you know. Yeah. So with that, is there any other questions you had? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, well, the, both of you, I suppose, are. As long as you can promise that you won't take anything, you're welcome to share our fires for this night. And with that, the dragonborn steps forward and says, we are not thieves. I would never think of doing such a thing. If anything, we would be worried of dying from whatever ghosts haunt the caverns below the halls. You must understand where we are coming from with such a thing. We were merely looking to Answer a dream, perhaps? As I'm sure you're very aware of the ogres to the north and their dreams. My friend here, having some giantish blood in his veins, could swear that he saw something very truly down there. Some sort of a blessed blade of sorts. Something that called to him. But I assume, just judging by the outfit and the dwarves, Perhaps that's not the case. But I suppose out of respect for the dwarves, we would rather head back to Coydale and figure something else out rather than continue this quest out of all respect to you. And with that, Ox steps in and he says, yeah, yeah, respect. Uh, um, do any of the dwarves play dice? Is that a dwarvish thing? I haven't met many dwarves in my life, but if they're good at dice, then I think we'll be greater friends. Maybe a couple, but I'm not sure you're going to find many partners for playing any games. Ah, I'll teach them. I'm a great teacher. See, the trick is to teach them all the wrong moves and then beat them every time. It's, it's, not, it's not nice, but you get great yields. Granted, I can't really record much of my yields, but in any case... If Ark is known for one thing, apart from throwing stones, it's casting dice. That's why they call me Ark Casting Dice. 
Now I need to delete his last name because he doesn't actually have one. God damn it. Or maybe he's just being cheeky. Little Miss, I'm not actually there. Well, but with that, the whole group uh, continue back up the way and make it back up to the camp with many dwarves uh, being scared, startled, and weirded out by both of these two strange characters walking in. A couple of them seem to announce the word Goliath, as well as the name Dragonborn, as both of these two have been kind of identified. And as they proceed into the masses and try to, I don't know, just find a space to kind of sit in this large encampment, many of the dwarves just come rushing up to the Goliath and to the Dragonborn and just kind of, ooh, ah, at them. And as they walk past the group here, uh, Jarzak, do you come back from the bush anytime soon or you stay out there for a while? Yeah, I, it's just like a pep talk to myself real quick and that he'd come back out just like okay. psyching himself up to be able to actually do what he's about to go do. Mm-hmm. And so with that, the um, the voice in the back of your head begins to tingle again and it says, you will slay those who will stop me and blame it on these two oafs. Understand the risk of denying me my quarry. Yeah. I got it. I, you didn't hear me? I was very confident to let myself know I got this. And so it says... Do not sass me, you driveling, sniveling worm. And with that, the blade falls off the holster again, making a <laughs> clink. And Auk begins to immediately, like, alarmedly look towards you in the distance. And he says, Who's that guy? Wait, does he play dice? <laughs> you know, I think you just might be able to convince Jarjack to play dice with you. <laughs> And with that, he says, oh, joy. And he comes running full speed, sprinting in your I direction. I pick up the blade as fast as I can. <laughs> and he says, hey, are you Jarzak, the one who plays dice? <laughs> I just looked, and I have tool proficiency in dice set. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, me too. <laughs> you guys are I, a-holes. I don't know Not if I'm there. the dice master, but... You have to beat me before you can go on to her. And so with that, he says, ah, okay, that sounds fair. No. And he all of a sudden goes very quiet, alarmingly quiet. And you see his two sort of white opaque eyes look down in your general direction towards your hip, where you are trying to fix the blade to your side in some way or hold it. And he says, ah, right, dice. Yes, dice. Um, so, uh, uh, are you, do you not know how just, to play dice? Were you he looks back with again. me? And so with that, he says, I would never dream of it. As long as you can read and write, we can take down how much I'm beating you. Okay. Perfect. I can definitely do these things for us. <laughs> and so with that, he prepares to sit down to a small game with you in the encampment, but it seems again like he's very much so a different looking character from how he was before. And having seen the blade, he keeps kind of fixing his eyes on it. And it's it's rather clear to tell this. Okay, okay but, it is clear. Okay. Uh, then Jarzak's definitely going to have like a hand on the, the hilt pretty much the entire time then. Sure. Just kind of holding it. Sure. And as you guys 
begin to play and make some small talk. Him noticing your hand on the blade, he openly states, he says, Shawara, where did you come across such a blade? Uh, picked it up off the ground. Huh. It was just lying there, so I scooped it. You gonna roll a deception for me real quick? Technically, you did pick uh, it up yeah. off the ground. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's okay. just lying there. Norhill did roll for persuasion, so I don't care. Continuously disarm him. Great. What did we get? Uh, twenty-two. Fucking, of course he did. And so with that he his face kind of goes to like a a very inquisitive pose, and he says, "You know, at the risk of sounding like some kind of ogre, <clears throat> I had a very strange dream." You're not going to believe me on this, but I think I saw that blade in my dreams. Yeah, it's a very nice blade. I would dream about something like it, too. Um, well, I dreamed that it was in the hands of somebody down below the dwarves in, in the caverns below the halls. <clears throat> I apologize, but the yeah, I mean, I the amount of vividness there. in my dream, I, I I remember walking down, going down some sort of strange mechanical lift, and there was a dead dwarf with gray stony skin, and he was dead, and he was sitting there in his hand. And uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean oh, to say this. Oh, I mean that's that's pretty <clears throat> much how how it was, except it wasn't sitting in his hand. It was just on the ground next to him. Right, right. Yeah, so it's different situation. Maybe it's a different different place, different sword. Yeah, right. I um it's been nice playing with you. And he just kind of stands up abruptly and walks away, leaving his dice behind. Uh, to forfeit I win again. <laughs> <laughs> the master undefeated. Nobody can beat me at games. First chess, now dice. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of... You could say that Jarzak is the king of games. I've gotten more power than ever. (laughs) I didn't even realize. (laughs) And with that, the uh, dragonborn comes walking over, and Yigalith comes walking over and stops to kind of reclaim the dice. And it seems like she'd been listening the whole time, but she hisses over to you and she says, he wasn't kidding about his dream. He's told me many things that he saw. And even though he has blood of giants, he is no ogre, and he has not their dreamish visions. I don't know where you found that sword. But the vividness of his dream leads me to believe maybe you are lying. I mean, I found it pretty much where he said. It was just not in his hands. It was on the ground. I assume things may change over time. Perhaps you have some sort of bend on destiny. And she turns away, scooping up the dice and walks back to go catch up with Auk. Hey, 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 wait. But she stops immediately. Uh, was there anything else to that dream? 
And with that, she gives kind of a smile and a nod, and she says, many things apparently have changed since the dream. I'm sure you have nothing to worry about. Oh. Perfect. And so with that, she gives kind of a, a knowing nod and walks back over to catch up with Ock, who has already begun picking up children, throwing them far too high up in the air. Um, Click is uh, a line. Why is Click in the air? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Click. Anyway. Uh, so at this point, the... Uh, Night is beginning to fall as the party continued their travel and made camp for the evening again with the mud pie um, buffet sort of setting up the same sort of eating situation there. And with that, having traveled further, the party seems to have gotten much more of a grasp of how to set up little campsites and how to sleep. And so small groups have set up small campfires and whatnot. Um, But yeah, night falls. What's the plan for the party sleeping amongst this giant traveling marching band of dwarves uh, for tonight i don't think jarzak's gonna be sleeping i think but like do you set up big, like, like a bedroll somewhere or right what was that we still have the big like pavilion tent right that's true you did have that giant military pavilion tent yeah and so we use that um okay yeah you know, it's very recognizable in case anybody needs anything uh, that kind of I think, um, and Norhill, the whole day that we travel is keeping an eye on those clouds above the <clears throat> Do they get any worse? Is there any change? No, but having focused more on it and traveling sort of north and getting closer, it doesn't seem like it's like one giant burning fire, but instead it seems like they come from like a bunch of small localities in sort of a line shape. Since you've moved farther to the east, you can tell that it's not just one giant billowing, but it's almost like if you spread your fingers and turn your hand ever so slightly and begin to see that it's not just one finger and you see all of a sudden there's like five further points, right? So it's like you're beginning to see that there's maybe something of like a stretch of large fires wrapping around Eagle Heart and potentially Dustwind itself. So you know, like, you know, like army encampments potentially. Okay. That's what it would seem. Yeah, so when we stop for the night, Norhill is going to try to is going to summon the party and he's going to summon, you know, you know, the you know, you know, the wise or the elders among the dwarves to uh confer with them. Yes, the A A A R P G of the group, right? But um <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. And so assembled in the pavilion tent, what would you like to say? So Norhill is going to say I've been observing the situation uh, headed towards Dustwind and Eagleheart, and I think that they might have more troubles than I had initially assumed. <clears throat> and, you know, Norhill's going to fill, that, fill in uh, all of the dwarves on the situation with the Herald of Steel and the armies that he has and how uh, when Norhill left Eagleheart, they were having troubles with sieges, and it's starting to look like uh, Dustwind is also experiencing issues with the sieges. Even if we have the strength to break through a siege, I don't think that they're going to take us in uh, if they're also experiencing such troubles. And I would like to hear everybody's thoughts on redirecting the march into Quarrydale. According to those two strangers that we met today, they're not having any troubles at all with the Herald of Steel or his armies. Um... Sorry, Cle- go ahead. Cle- Cle- is just a bit worried about 
Queen Guinevere and her people, as well as the people of Dustwind, but we do have to get your people someplace safe, and then after that, maybe we can try and help resolve that their problems, too. I mean, how much can we really trust these people, though? They, uh... You know as well as anybody else. Yeah, what do you know? I mean, I'm just feeling a bit uneasy about them. I don't think that's fair, knowing what we know. And Norhill is going to, you know, turn to towards the dwarves. Uh, it, so among Norhill's people, is there much of you know, like, um, yeah, an agreement that you know no, that gnomes and halflings are you know oath breakers and not to be trusted? And oh no, I meant these two strangers who told us it was clear. I'm, I'm, I, I don't mean the gnomes and halflings. Oh well, yeah, news is news. We take it for we take it where we can get it. Did you still want to know about the standing of the gnomes and the halflings? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, and just as kind of like a, a a point of like how they're usually referred to, usually the term is like quarry folk, and that's just kind of the the gather like the catch all term for them. Um, but as far as things go, there has always been this strange lack of comprehension of like if something actually happened it's just one of those like i don't want to say like jet fuel you know mountain steel bars kind of things mm -hmm. but it's like over time the sense of like was it them was it not them has begun to fester in two camps where some people over the years just believed like our closest friends and allies could not have been the ones who did it and this must have been an under misunderstanding but to the other side it's one of these like deep filled like heart filled resentments where it's like to think after all this time that's what they did to us and then there was never any like amendment or peace made after you know what i mean so like the opinions are split and they are intense okay uh, so is it a 50 50 split among the dwarves that norhill has gathered specifically or does one prevail over the other since you grabbed the elderly the great elderly, those who are like well into adulthood before the war began, they themselves are much more inclined to believe that in a time like this, they can fall upon the quarry folk for some sense of peace, believing that maybe something had happened that would have led to it. But you know that those who are like a hundred years old in, in some change, those who like lived during the war they have always believed them to be deceptive. You know what I'm saying? So specifically grabbing the old people was probably the best bet. There's no disagreement that Corydale is probably the safest place to go. But I also want to say there's a bit of a government like shift that you're taking on right now. And by taking in the elderly specifically, it definitely has become known to all the dwarves present that you grabbed specifically the elderly rather than anybody no, else. So, uh, Norhill, Nor may, maybe the elderly is what Norhill would get, uh, judging sure, by what sure. I said, but I specifically asked for the wise. So it would be elderly, um, you know, any sort of like... You yeah, know, the, the pull on your character sheets. Doctors. Let's check that yeah. with score. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I'll say is there is a priest of Morden among the ranks, and he himself seems to be a bit younger than everybody else joined here, and he's the only one who says that they can't be trusted. 
well. So uh, Jarzak does raise a good point that it could very well be that either the situation in Fordale has changed or we can't trust the strangers. But uh, one way or another, if Jarzak is right, we'll have to make our way through uh, the Herald of Steel's forces and Fordale is a bit closer than Dustwind. And uh, some information has come to light considering the history of the War of the Bleeding Stones and the quarry folk themselves that suggests to me that they can be trusted. And so the story is obviously going to be a little bit longer than this. Um, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, but you know, uh, Norhill will say that the quarry folk were deceived by the deceiver. And the leader of the quarry folk at Boltzcrag is you know, directly <laughs> and personally responsible for what happened. And not all of the quarry folk hold you know, any sort of involvement in what happened in the War of the Bleeding Stones. So I think that we can lean on the quarry folk and trust them as our oldest and staunchest allies. I think we're misreading the situation. How so? This isn't an issue of trust, this is an issue of generosity. We, trust does not matter at this point. We come as refugees to a different land. It's not that they might not necessarily trust us, is that they might not be able to give us the generosity we expect. So just don't be surprised by that. Not that it may be Alaska of necessarily just trust. I'm, I'm willing to make a bet on ancient bonds of friendship. That doesn't mean they have the resources nor how. Generosity, from my understanding, can be boundless in ways, but I must say my generosity is boundless because of my God. We know nothing of what it is like in Corrigale and any of these other places. I just hope your people are prepared to be turned away, not out of trust, but out of lack of generosity. That is the only thing. And so with that Norhill's, Norhill's father steps forward and says, if there's anything to be known, is that we are resourceful. If they give us land, we will farm it. We will make homes. We will do the best we can. If there's anything that makes a dwarf a dwarf, it's the will to survive, craft, and create. And all the dwarves begin to nod heads, all of their bushy beards and wild, wiry white hair, all kind of bobbing. And the Moradin priest here is the only one who has his arms crossed. And he just says, I don't think we're going to be turned away. I don't think we're going to lack generosity. I think that they must have some sort of connection to the deceiver. I think there's somebody around here that's protected us from the deceiver for far too long. And I think that if he truly wanted to do his evil deeds, he would have gotten us. A bunch of elderly and the not able-bodied to fight back have been guided by six people, five people. Please, if he wanted us dead, he would have done it. We're marching into something of a feast. I don't know who's behind this and how this has worked so well, but I feel great evil looming above us. He might be here right here next to us right now. <laughs> Jarzak's just got a skeleton hand. He's like, <laughs> I, I think that it, I think that it's good that you trust your instincts. Uh, never stop listening to them, and should you ever have any misgivings, do not hesitate to bring them to me. Oh no! 
it's a, so just it's, like, oh, God. <laughs> and he just says, if those who were so good to us were deceived by the deceiver, why would the deceiver not look to deceive one of you, one of us? I mean, if he wanted to get rid of the dwarves and he tried so hard before, wouldn't it be so easy? You're in charge of everybody here. If you died, where would we go? What would we do? All it would take was one knife and the dwarves of this land would be gone forever. One stab, one poisoning, one garret wire, and we'd be done. All I say is, your reckless abandon looking for a home may be the death of all of us. And with that, he turns and steps out of the place. He is right, then. I suppose that the next order of business should be establishing a chain of command. Uh, who, <laughs> are, who ought to uh, take control well, that's of uh, the <laughs> I, I was He's like, say, I didn't think shit, it was. I have died a few times. It could happen again. <laughs> Jarzak, as the most able-bodied out of us, you are second in command. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess in the, the rest of the you know uh, night, uh, the you know, night's conversations is going to be a conversation of you know logistics. You know, just in case the worst happens, who's going to take command? Um, Who would take command? Norhill if- wants to hear like. The recommendations uh, from the from the wives about who it ought to be. Well, Are I mean, there, like I, no more warriors or whatever. So. Yeah, so that's why I'm saying the government structure here is kind of come to an end, where you're basically making your best judgment on who would be best apt to lead them: a priest with wisdom from the gods, an elderly person with wisdom from having experience, somebody younger with the charisma and the health to lead them. It's hard to say. So I guess it really boils down okay. to you. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Norhill is going to appoint a sort of council, I guess, for lack of a be- better term, where at least uh, you know at least one person will be among from you know the wise elderly, at least one person from the clergy, and then at least three other dwarves that are elected uh, from whoever wants to maybe hold that position. Okay. Okay. And so with that, yeah, yeah, that, that way, you know, you've got a little bit of diversification and you'll have people who are going to be able to talk things out in case anything happens to Norhill. Okay. And so with that, a the the same priest will be chosen. One of the elderly that was brought here that's kind of just like an old worker who's happened to live to the age of 400 years old. And of the three other ones that were elected, one of them is your father. And two other ones are just local guild hall, like masters who have just been likable enough and taught and brought people through the ranks. You feel a firm sensation that when given the option of who to hire as the three popular ones, the fact that they picked her father was sort of like a weird reverse nepotism where they're like, well, if the kid's good, then the dad's got to be great too. So nobody seems upset about it, but it seems like they just kind of phoned that one in being like, he's got the same name. How bad could it be? So after that meeting and writing out Norhill's will, knowing that he's got quite a few different means of murdering him sitting on the table, what would you guys like to do before bed? I need to go uh, talk to Jarzak. I need, I need to talk to <laughs> and, uh, I was, The last I was... order that Norhill is going to give is he's just going to ask the council to you know, spread word through the ranks that we're redirecting the march into Quarrydale and to also tell the story of how 
you know, man, maybe the quarry folk aren't so bad. Here's the story of how one fuck ass ruined everything for everybody with a room full of bugs. And then the telephone game plays out, and the last group of people think they're real bad. Yeah, right. All of a sudden, and we're like, going okay, to so take we're... over. Yeah, right. <laughs> Those bastards. They uh, yeah, killed like... all the bugs. I'd like to talk to the group, just us. Uh, if when we find a moment before yeah de- uh, yeah definitely and you know norhill will excuse the newly elected council yeah uh so you guys those uh new people who just happen to come across us it's just something's not sitting right with me i say we should probably set them up near us and maybe maybe take watch over them and i i can go first as I have a deal with Kalika to go on watch before her, unfortunately. Yeah, you got him right. That that was a good idea. They admitted admitted themselves that they came down here to plunder the halls that they thought to find empty. Okay. And they're certainly not trustworthy, at least in that respect. Yeah, so I guess Kalika will take take second. Uh, you guys can fight over the other. I'm going to be like rolling in the mud, so hopefully Kleeka can't clean that all off. Can <laughs> you I roll stay in front of Kleeka? <laughs> yeah, versus Jarzak's deception. Yeah. Best of wishes to you. I might fumble. She might crit. I almost did. Oh, oh yeah, you, you, you beat me, but I... <laughs> 27. Yeah. I did not get 27. <laughs> I got, I rolled oh, a 19. Charging. So. <laughs> you, you, more, you more than doubled my insight roll. So. Yeah, so how well, you just got another charge, too. Well, I guess that's uh, good. Three charges in one day. Whew. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of lying. All it took was you in a leadership position, and all of a sudden you're just, whoops, donks are going up. Uh, isn't that how it works? <laughs> You know, there you go. Your elected council. And then when Jarzak's the only one left alive, Norhill told me before he died that he wanted me to be in charge. Bugs <laughs> for everyone. But anyway, okay. And so where's the party going to be sleeping? Inside the pavilion tent? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, before like we all settle in for the night, I think Lika's going to sort of go around the camp and just find like dwarves that are having trouble actually like peacefully getting to sleep you know being on the march and suddenly sleeping outside of their ancestral homes and out in the wilderness and i think she's just gonna sort of go around and try and use catnap as much as she can to like get them started on sleeping and then sort of be like well hopefully they'll just continue on that rest and if not at least that 10 minutes will be somewhat refreshing for them so that's what clique is going to be going around and doing okay. just so lots out. of crying babies and pained elderly folk are mm-hmm. able to be given a nice easy rest and so okay and so you guys are going to sleep in the big jumbo tent okay and then did anton want to talk to jarzak you were saying or yeah Okay, so we can we can meet up <laughs> after the council meeting and our powwow. 
Yeah. So I guess it'll be more outside the tent. I don't know. And oh, a sidebar? What, what's up? I think I think we need to take a walk, Jarzak. Oh no, this is so awkward. Yeah, I love walks. What, what what's going on? I feel Oh, we got to we got to we got to walk a little first. Yeah, I, okay, I okay. feel these discussions are putting you in a difficult position due to the source My of situation? your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As he rolls in mud. I Fair cannot gone. tell you who to follow, Jarzak. That is things beyond that I understand. I'll never understand who you choose or why. I don't expect anyone to question why I follow my my god, but you do plenty of that on your own. I mean, I've questioned it with, but with the high priest, so <laughs> we had a nice chat about it. He said he didn't like you. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Ronnie's face matched with what I just said. You just look so disappointed trying to role play. <laughs> it was, I was like, he put boogers in your holy book. It was pure curiosity, though. Not trying to knock your faith. Just wanted to no, know why. I just... I just wonder how far you'll go for your faith. Oh, I we've mean, clearly well, seen what you believe in can do. I think I only hope that you do what you want to do. All right, little Miss Meta Game, <laughs> let's wrap it up here. You're like, if given the opportunity to kill us, I would hope you wouldn't do it, especially on a night like tonight with a fancy new sword. Yeah, well, uh, you know it's. I feel like the priest of Martin here uh, kind of might have got it right where it might be protecting us having someone on that side of the fence. Because if he's not going for us now, I mean, what, this is a perfect time. The whole army defenseless dwarfs that can't none of them can fight why wouldn't he strike your, now your unless, unless at this the... point i'm sorry if i if i can get this argument correct your argument is that if he would have done it by now it would have happened yeah, you're like definitely. yeah so maybe <laughs> it's evil and you're all still alive maybe it's not a it bad, bad thing maybe the darkness is protecting us all yeah. for now yeah. I can but, just imagine Anton looking off in the dark and like giving his last moments of peace of nighttime. And he's like, you know, it was nice being alive, wasn't it? <laughs> Jarzak just no, swarmed with bugs no. crawling out of his skin. Like, oh, it might be good to have a bad guy around here. Hold on, let me fix my glove real quick. Oh, <laughs> skeleton hand, weird. No, Anton's just going to look toward Jarzak and he's going to say, I'm sorry, but. This you following the deceiver can't continue. Do you understand what I mean, Jarzak? 
I mean, but Anton, do you understand what I mean? He's he's not after us right now. We have we have protection. Oh my god! Roll deception. And at first, I was letting you swim on that one deception, but now I'm like, no, you can't just wait. He's, he's like... not after all of us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you for the asterisk. Fourteen. It might be beatable. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think Anton was even gonna roll. <laughs> uh, sixteen. Okay. Oh fuck. Well, when you hear that, he's like, "Yeah, what did you say, Jarzak?" Well, he's not after all of us. He's not after <laughs> all of us. That's way more foreboding and deep. Out of all the times he's ever said something, you've been able to believe it. This one time he says it, the way he puts emphasis on all, all. of us. All of a sudden, Anton feels a little bit more alone out there in the dark, having walked far from the camp. Just my look at the time, Jarzak. Time to get back to fucking camp. I cast darkness on top of Anton. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh yeah, so I mean we should be safe for now. Hopefully. <laughs> I just love the juiciness, the tension here of what just happened. And it's like, of course, it was of all lines to lie about. It's that one where it's like, I'd never kill you. I mean like, maybe do like uh, a a bonus prayer to the light if you're feeling uneasy. <laughs> I is that is that how it works. Do you just you do another one and you get more juice? I don't. I don't know. I, that's not how mine works. Jarzik, my patience has run thin, allowing this to keep up with us this long. You clearly are stating we could be protected from darkness. No. We can't. Lights protected us. Not the dark. You're you're gonna keep telling me the dark's protecting us? Are you, are you sure about that? Wasn't it the dark that helped us fight all those bad people to bring more light into the world? This is the most terrifying conversation in the entire campaign. Harold of Steel holds nothing on Jarzak, <laughs> just like trying to like gaslight the fuck out of Anton right here. Be like, all along, on the outskirts of the light was the dark. <laughs> you stood in the way of progress, Anton. <laughs> and Anton's just going to shake his head. He's going to say, I'm sorry, but this. I can't just stand by this. And his hands start to flicker. And he says, Jarzak. Jarzak's hands start to, to flicker too, but in a shadowy. <laughs> just, Anton, don't. Anton, we don't need to do this. Yes, Jarzak, we don't. Your, your hands started first. Anton, you're scaring me. So like thinking instead Anton's shaking his lantern, his little delicate glass lantern, just just rick it in and around. It's like, don't make me use this. 
Meanwhile, insect swarms begin to pour out of Jarzak, and it's like one of these is a lot more intimidating than the other. But so does that mean Anton's gonna back off? No, he's gonna cast burning hands on Jarzak. Jarzak cast darkness. <laughs> so as as oh boy. Somewhere in the camp, Klika is coddling a 390-year-old dwarf. <laughs> Sweet dreams. <laughs> so with this, Anton, as you begin to prepare a spell and, and lift up your lantern, you see a dark foreboding form darker than night, darker than shadow begin to form behind Jarzak and stand a towering like foot taller than him, which is remarkable given his overwhelming size. And as you begin to prepare to cast the spell, the form steps forward and overwhelms his body. And Jarzak, you're given that same overwhelming racking pain that you felt that other time where all the bugs poured out of you when you're in the camp of the orcs. And you take on a massive shadowy form and as the spell, the burning as, hands. Sorry, as that happens, uh, can Jarzak try to just like spit out two words? Yeah, by all means. Anton, run. And the shadowy form of all things that would ever perverse and destroy the Illuminator's call the dark form of the deceiver itself takes Jarzak's body into its own and moves slowly towards Anton and the lantern. And as you go to cast a burning hands, you feel all of the magic that comes from the lantern seem to like phase out for a second and disappear. And John pulls his Mace off his belt. <laughs> the wrong way, mind you. The wrong way. <laughs> and with that, Anton is, yeah, in, enveloped in pure darkness. Um, yeah, it's it's not good. As you feel tons of insects and tendrils begin to fondle and crawl all over you in this space. And you hear Jarzak grunting and groaning in agony within the shadowy mass as well. Gotta find Jarzak. I try to like swat away the bugs between like the mace and the shield and just kind of like trudge through it like a blizzard. Okay. <laughs> Rad. Okay. Can I get just a wisdom saving throw? Yeah. What just fumbles it, dies. Don't say that, please. <laughs> okay, sorry. I won't say it. I'll think it, but I won't say it. Uh 14. Okay. And so with that you stumble and move forward and reach Jarzak. And as you get to Jarzak's form, he seems to be shivering and you see that he himself inside of here, which you can't barely see until you're like face to face with him, but you can push him out of this mass swarm for just a second. And as he billows out of it and falls to the ground beside you, both of you sort of coughing and wheezing from that difficult to breathe atmosphere, you can see the dark bubble shape there with all the swarming insects, again, just melts into the ground with an inky black texture and then all of a sudden forms itself back into that giant form and with a voice that sounds like the echoing of thousands of cicada wings it kind of calls to behind your head Anton as you sit over an unconscious Jarzak 
and you see the uh, the form step towards you and says, your light means nothing here. I will delight in wicking out another flame of the Illuminator. You never stood a chance. And with that, Jarzak's hand unconsciously reaches for his blade at his side, and Jarzak springs back to consciousness as the blade whishings out of its hilt, and the diamond edge glows for just a moment as the spirit form of a swordsman, one that seems all too familiar to you guys, leaps from the scabbard and stands there directly before the two-foot-taller-than-him shadowy form and holds a glimmering reflection of the blade that Jarzak apparently had found. And it stands there with the blade at the ready and in a voice that seems almost to herald back to your dreams of sleep out in the woods and the force of the wandering swordsman. And it says, this one will not die this day. And the two of them meet in an apocalyptic sort of explosion of light and darkness that lets out an echoing sonic boom in the valley. And that is where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.